it was just brought to my attention that we have a ton of newcomers here this morning, people here for the first time. So we want to welcome you to Mosaic. And uh, if there's anything at all we can do for you, and we mean that sincerely here, it's not just lip service. If you come here and you say, you know, I'm, I'm hurting, I really need someone to pray with me, I, I need some help counseling-wise, I need some, I'd like to talk to one of the leaders, uh, please see us. That's why we're here. We want to, no, no, not to just come and leave and, and you're hurting and you didn't get a chance to connect with somebody. I know that first step is hard and to come up to somebody. We're very approachable. So come on up and say, hey, could I have coffee with you, one of you guys? Could I talk? Uh, is there anything? Can you pray with me right now? I'm going through a tough time. Please don't leave Mosaic unless you come up and, and grab one of us. So, But welcome to all of you who are new for the first time. In a church, every church has kind of a different governance that governs them. And so what we try to do, do and what we did 14 years ago when we planted Mosaic was to say, let's go back to Scripture. Let's look at the book of Acts. Let's figure out how systems were set up. How was the early church set up? How does God want the church today to be governed? And so we looked at elders, we looked at deacons, we looked at the spiritual gifts, and we said, okay, how, how is the New Testament church supposed to be run? And so you're going to hear more about that in the future from us, but about two or three weeks ago, I presented to you a couple of men that we were considering to be elders at our church. Ron Miller and myself are the two elders now at Mosaic. And we knew that as we were growing, uh, we needed more help. We needed more elders, we need deacons, and we need other people to step up in their gifting. And so I just want to encourage you not to sit on your gift. When we were here Thursday night for the Forge, we did a spiritual giftedness test. And it took about 30 minutes to do that. And then we broke into small groups and we talked about our gifts. And the gifts are to be used in the body of Christ. The gifts are not to be sat on. And every one of us in this room, when we accept Jesus as our Savior right away, you are given a spiritual gift. And why would you be given something and just kind of hold on to it and not unpack it? It would be like a gift sitting in front of you to say, ooh, that's mine. I'm going to hold off. I don't want to open it. I'm so excited. No, no. The excitement comes after you open it. The excitement comes as you start to step out in your gifting. And so... I want to just encourage all of you to really not sit. We, we don't want to be a church of consumers. You know, we don't want to be a church that just kind of says, somebody serve me. Uh, we're, we're here to serve each other and to love each other. So you'll be hearing more about that in the next few weeks. But I'm just excited that we're going to be installing two new elders. As we presented these men to you three weeks ago, I said, if any of you have any reason that these men should not be an elder, then please, you have 30 days to come and see Ron or I and tell us if there's any reason you feel they should not be an elder. And so other than John's brother, Brian, uh, <laughs> we're, we're fine so far. So, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't help that. But uh, um, no. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're just excited. And I asked these men if they would each take time in the service today 
to share their hearts with you. So you get to know them a little bit better. So with that, I'm going to ask Jeff Nitz. If Jessica, come on, give him a hand. This is Jeff Nitz. Good morning, Mosaic. So, yeah, it's been a while since I've stood up and, and did this um, and uh, just shared my testimony. Actually, my life group is still waiting for me to share my testimony, so this kind of serves today as my testimony, guys. Um, this is it. As I was thinking back, I mean, this is a great opportunity just to think through what has God been doing, right, in my life? How has been teaching and growing me? What's, what, what has he been doing behind the scenes um, in my life? And it's just a great exercise to go through. I hope you have the opportunity soon to do this yourself. But here are the themes as I was thinking about it that I feel like this is what God's been doing, um, is that number one, he has blessed me way more than I deserve. That's not just a Dave Ramseyism. I look at that and say, why has God blessed me so much? Um, he has opened up doors of opportunity again and again for me to serve in ways that I can't possibly imagine why he put me in that. But it's like, wow, look at that. And he has shown me that he is so good and trustworthy in this life. You can't escape that. So let me background here. I grew up in a large family. There were seven of us kids. I was six out of seven. Six boys, one girl. Um, and there was a lot of testosterone going on in my family. Um, small Illinois town of Geneseo, the green machine, woohoo! Um, and uh, uh, football players and basketball players and track players and all these things. We, we were kind of big into sports together. And uh, some of us uh, love the music side of things too. But I was blessed to have a parent, uh, two, two parents that pointed me to Christ from day one. Um, I knew Christ was the answer to my deepest needs. And, and my mom and dad always had us in church, and we were, we were hearing the gospel from day one. Jesus is the answer. I got that early on. So that's a huge blessing in and of itself right there. Um, there was a fair amount of legalism there, right? So that got woven into it, and I was struggling with that. We ended up uh, going to an evangelical free church that my parents helped to start. If you know anything about the EV free church, it's very similar in many respects to Mosaic. Um, it's big on the gospel and grace, and there's a lot of room for disagreement on some of the secondary doctrinal issues. We can, we can choose to disagree about some of those things, but on the, when it comes to the gospel and grace, we're all really clear about what Christ did on the cross for us. And uh, so a lot of good stuff there in terms of my growing up. Um, there was a lot of emphasis still on more on the don'ts. In my family, you know, you don't go to movies, you don't play cards, you definitely don't go to dances. Um, that was really verboten. Um, and uh, so I remember thinking, even as a young teen, um, why can't we be known as evangelicals for the things we do as opposed to things we don't? So I kind of remember wrestling with that early on in my, um, in, my, in my faith. So how did this faith become personal to me? Five years old, I remember coming back from Sunday school and my Sunday school teacher, talk about how important Sunday school teachers are. My Sunday school teacher was Mr. Ken. I just remember he was, he was a really neat teacher. And I remember asking my, my mom, why is Mr. Ken so nice? And she said, well, he has Jesus in his heart. And I said, well, I want that too, because I really like Mr. Ken. Of course, it might have been offensive to my mom, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so I remember praying the sinner's prayer in the basement of my home in Wonder Lake, Illinois. Um, and... Uh, and uh, I remember thinking, that's great. You know, what can a five-year-old know? But I remember thinking, I have Jesus in my heart. 
Well, when I was seven years old, I wanted to make sure because I learned that hell was out there and I didn't want to go there. That burning thing didn't seem to be good. So I wanted to avoid that. That was my main motivation. So I think I prayed the prayer seven, eight, maybe even 12, just to be sure that I said the right words in the right order, right? Some little kid's mentality of what it means to put your faith in Christ. And then when I was uh, um, 10, 12, I started going to this Christian camp up in Wisconsin where my older siblings went to. And in each year, each summer, we would hear these great speakers come and share their faith and grow us. And that was a real significant time of my growing. Each summer, I would go to that camp. And I remember dedicating my life to Christ as a 14-year-old at that camp because it was just like, this is just what it has to be. Why would I not dedicate my life to this person who loves me as my faith was deepening and understanding how much Christ loved me? Um, And for the record, if you have kids or are going to be having kids, send them to Christian camp. It's such a great way to grow. It's a powerful way for, for kids Amen. to grow. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you. All right. Um, but in high school, I began to struggle with this thing. So how, how much can I be a Christian? And I wanted to be a strong Christian. And at the same time, I also wanted to be a part of the world, right? So this integrity issue began happening for me. I wanted to, I wanted to have friends, and I wanted to not be viewed as a dweeb which for millennials and Z-Gen folks are, that's kind of a nerdy person. Um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have fun and I wanted to have girlfriends. And, and the question in high school was, how far could you go without sinning, right? So uh, maybe some of you understand that challenge. So I had this nice Christian face. You know, I was a good kid and went to church. I led Bible studies actually for my for teenage friends. And, uh, but on the inside, I was challenged with this secret struggle with lust and just a rebellious heart overall. So how do I do both? You know, I try to put feet in both, both uh, camps. I also wrestled with how to, uh, if I had done enough to earn God's favor and acceptance, this notion, notion of sanctification was very much all me. It was my effort to try to be good enough so that God would say, okay, I'm glad I saved you. But oftentimes I looked at God and I thought he was this guy with a whack-a-mole hammer ready for me to sin and go see like this. And then when I did sin, he'd be doing one of these. I saved you for that? What in the world? And I had this view of God with a look of disgust every time I sinned. How in the world could you do that, Jeff? You know what I did for you? And I struggled with that. That moved into adulthood too. So I made it through high school, um, still wrestling with some of these issues, went to a Christian college in Illinois. Great experience of learning, being stretched in my faith. Um, started pre-med thinking that's what I wanted to do. I love bio and uh, my oldest brother was a, was a doc and uh, he, he was my idol for a long time. And then in the middle of a chemistry lab, bing, um, all of a sudden I had this epiphany because in chem labs in freshman year, that's where you're supposed to have those. And I realized I was trying to be a doctor because my oldest brother was, and my, my dad thought it was really cool. I'd be another doctor. And, uh, and that was I realized that's not how God made me. That wasn't what was important. I'd taken a psychology class and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And, uh, and uh, that started changing. I ended up changing my major and uh, second semester um, of my freshman year. And then I started working on a minor in Bible while I was there too. And that's where I met this young lady called Cheryl. And uh, she, I was destined to meet her. She sat right in front of me in chapel 
And uh, um, she was on my brother and sister floor, and I kept running into her. We had the same advisor. It was like, wow, I was supposed to meet this lady with long blonde hair who sat right in front of me all the time. And that was pretty cool. So through that time, began wrestling with what God, what, what did he want to use me for? So I get a psych degree. What does that mean? I dedicated my life to him, trying to figure out this faith thing. What does that mean? And something my mom had uh, would say to us all the time, and we had a plaque on our wall in the kitchen. Maybe some of you have heard this, is that um, uh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that was just imbued. I, I couldn't escape that reality. And in the end of my life, only what I will have done for Christ um, is what matters. And so I was wrestling with that, what that wanted to be, and I, what I wanted to be. And uh, I wasn't sure, but I knew if I trusted my life with God that he would open doors and he would make things happen. And he has repeatedly. I felt like, in fact, cut, cut to the end, is that I feel like God has guided my career and what he has me doing with my work from day one in ways that are so unexpected. Cheryl and I got married shortly after we finished college and decided to settle in the Philadelphia area because large cities is where human services positions were and not in small farming towns. And so we moved there um, and uh, settled near her family. And ultimately, after about a year of trying a couple other jobs, I settled into a, uh, a foster care caseworker job, which was the most difficult, painful, awful, wonderful job I could have taken. Um, I got acquainted with kids that have been abused and neglected and, uh, and families that were part of that neglect. And I also got a picture of how the church can do remarkable things because it was so often it was the Christian families who stepped up and said, we're going to step right into that mess and we're going to love those kids and those families. In fact, um, one of the neat things is that one of the first uh, conferences that I went to was out in Harrisburg and uh, um, all these professionals across the state were there um, acknowledging and getting all these awards. And then they had the, the award for the greatest um, organization that year had done the most in the span of foster care and adoption over the course of that last year. And I was, who's this going to be? What agency? Oh, that agency? No, they said St. James Chapel, just outside of Harrisburg. It was a church that they said had, had made sure so many kids had been adopted and fostered over the course of that year that they were getting the, the, the state award for the, the organization that had done the most to impact the child welfare system in Pennsylvania in that year. And I thought, wow, that's the church. That just gave me a new vision as I saw um, the pastor come up and receive that award. In the meantime, Cheryl and I started having kids. In fact, we ended up with four kids in three years. And you're wondering, how can you do that? Well, two came biologically, two came uh, by way of adoption and foster care. Um, one of our daughters came to us when she was four, um, and another came when she was 13, almost 14 years old. Life became real busy for us, real busy fast. Um, we got plugged into a great church in Philadelphia um, in 1994. And we took this discipleship course in that church called Living for the King. And that's where I learned that God wasn't the whack-a-mole God, that he loved me. He didn't love the world. He loved me. He cherished me. In fact, he adopted me as his kid. He loves me and he loves you. Ephesians 1.5 says that in love, he predestined us through Jesus Christ to be adopted, to be adopted. 
I'm the adopted son of the Most High God. I am not an orphan. I began realizing how much of my life I live as an orphan, as if I were an orphan, and I'm not. I'm a loved, cherished child of the Most High God. The God who made the universe, that's the God who loves me and adopted me. And that started to change my perspective significantly. I'm not in this by myself. God isn't trying to whack me. He wants me to grow. In fact, what, how he helps me grow is that I spend more and more time with him and understand his love for me. How all of us change and transform is when we're in a healthy relationship where somebody loves us deeply. And that changes our heart. Not out of obligation, but out of gratitude and love. That's how we change the most. And that's what I started to get into me. In the meantime, by golly, we discovered that life is full of challenges and suffering, Cheryl and I. Some of our own making and some uh, simply due to the fall. Cheryl and I discovered that marriage is a lot, lot harder than we possibly anticipated. And we had some really painful years in our marriage as I sinned on her and uh, just um, selfish and uh, could not figure out how to die to self. I thought I would be a great husband and I was not. Um, just had a hard time figuring that out. And so God was saying, you need me, Jeff. You can't do this on your own. You need me. And uh, boy, that was a painful lesson right there. So we started figuring that piece out, and then the kids started coming. And then you go through a whole new set of getting your hardened places rubbed off of you, right? And uh, as you learn to die to self even more, marriage is just the start of the dying to self thing, right? And then you have kids, and it just, it just boy, that's, that's difficult stuff. And part of what we, what we experienced with parenting was, was some, um, some heartache there. Some of you may have heard me share uh, in a sermon a few months ago some of the challenges we had with one of our daughters who ended up with some str- uh, chronic mental health issues starting in her teenage years. And that ended up just being year after year of grief, of thinking, we don't know where the bottom to this is. It just was a real painful set of time, and Cheryl and I were grieving differently and uh, having a hard time being connected during that time. And yet, those are the best ways that we learn, isn't it? We learn to trust in God through the hardest experiences of our life, where the only thing that we can do, if we're going to survive, is to cling to Christ. And through that experience, I learned that God is faithful. He's writing stories I had no idea he was planning to write. They're different than my stories, but they're good stories. They're better stories. And that's the thing that we can trust in. So again, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have written some of that stories with, with my daughter and an older daughter as well. Some of those things, it was like, no, Lord, this is what it needs to look like. But God's saying, I'm shaping you in the midst of this. Maybe even more than your kid. Just trust me. He's got better plans for us. And if we just trust and say, Lord, do your work. Do your work. Let me learn to trust you. So through that process of some difficult experiences, not only did I end up with greater empathy for families with kids that are struggling, but Cheryl ended up with a counseling practice helping counsel uh, families that had adopted and fostered, and just amazing experiences that we've had as a result of that. So what am I doing now, and why in the world are we in Lynchburg? We were in Philadelphia for 32 years before we moved here, almost three years ago, and out of the blue... Both of us, it's a long story, but both of us had calls uh, to come to the Lynchburg area. And uh, that in itself is one more reminder that God has specific plans for us. He has purposes and plans for our life, and they are good. 
I wouldn't have told you four years ago that I'd be in Lynchburg talking to you all. We were ensconced in a great church, blah, 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 good jobs, everything. And then God said, nope, I got something better. And we moved down here in 2017. Um, I work as a, in an administrative role for Patrick Henry Family Services, and Cheryl serves as a, a social work professor at LU. And uh, great opportunities to serve. Really neat stuff is happening. Um, in the last couple of years, we've been coming to, uh, to Mosaic, and I absolutely love what this is about. Those three things there, living by faith, known by love, and being a voice of hope, that's real here. I love that, that that's what we're known by, and that's what we're going to be about is a, is a body. Uh, and I have, we have, the very best life group there could possibly be. They are awesome. Some growing motivations for me. What, are me. what am I about and what I feel like God has been teaching me over all these years? Um, three things. Is that live a life of gratitude, humility, and love expressed through service. I don't know a growing Christian that doesn't have large portions of gratitude, humility, and love that just is, is deepening. And I feel like God has been slowly, slowly, as I've yielded to Him, some of those things. Because as I do... When I'm not doing that, that's when the self-righteous stuff comes out and the selfishness comes out and it just tends to ruin and wreck relationships, doesn't it? But as God says, let me teach you about gratefulness. Let me teach you about humility. Let me teach you about how to really love. And God starts to doing, doing remarkable things in relationships. I have three passions, probably more. I have a lot of things that I care about, but three that as it relates to Mosaic that I would want you to know about. Number one, I'm a passion about the growing the intimacy and connection that God intended in one's marriage, uh, both through the self and the relational disciplines that help make it happen. As I told you, Cheryl and I struggled some years in our marriage. They were tough years. Um, but through that, God has taught us how to develop a truly intimate and connected marriage. Um, and I am so blessed to have a phenomenal gifted wife in Cheryl who loves me way better than I deserve. Um, and is an incredible compliment to me. So we care about having other folks have that because we realize that when we're strong, as Tim Keller talks about, when a marriage is strong, you go out in strength and you're able to serve and deeply love other people. When that marriage is not strong, you go out in weakness. And so it matters in terms of our, our purpose and calling in our life to, uh, to, to have a strong marriage. Um, it frees us up to love and serve better. Secondly, I'm passionate about growing young men into passionate lovers of Jesus Christ. Um, I know that's a passion of John's as well. There's a lot of men here that are like that, but we recognize I want men to know God's love and his just incredible goodness early on in their life. I've had some mentors in my life that had helped me, but I wish I'd had some of those earlier in my life. And so the, the sooner we can connect with men and really deepen those relationships and point folks to Christ in the midst of some of those early life experiences, so much the better. So I care deeply about that. And then lastly, I'm passionate about the church living out its calling in our local community in the world. Now, there's a famous writer and speaker who talks about the local church being the hope of the world. I believe that. This body has a purpose and calling for this community right here. Not just for deepening our individual lives in terms of our faith and growth, but but God has purposes for Mosaic Church to impact our community collectively. And whenever that happens, like St. James Chapel, that's cool stuff. 
And when the church gets known not for what we're against, but what we're for and what we're doing in grace, in love to our community, God gets all the glory. Right? And that's what I care about. So if you're looking for a perfect elder, you'll not find him here. Um, I'm not him. Um, But by God's grace, um, I'm learning more to lean on Christ for my hope, my strength, and in my value, my identity and my value is more and more in Christ. So that's a little bit of who I am. Thanks for giving me an opportunity, Pastor. And I would like to introduce you to John Stroud. Most of you know John. It's like Jeff and Cheryl. They saw a need in the church and they said, how can we serve? How can we help? And that's why Jeff and Cheryl lead a life group and do other things around Mosaic. John and his wife Garvisa, same thing. They came here. They said, you know, here's some needs in Mosaic. Uh, Let's step up and use our gifts. So let's welcome John Stroud. Good morning, guys. Back in the 1980s, there was a book that became uh, popular in the Christian community. It was called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. Can I see a hand? There we go. There we go. Two or three of us. There we go. I have spent my life on that search. Somehow, growing up in the place where I did, I did not believed that I mattered. And my life became governed by a belief um, that there is something fundamentally less than about me than others. And I've since learned that that belief is really shame. And that was basically the governing principle of my life and the thing that drove me and the choices that I made for many, many years. I experienced shame in the uh, form of feeling inadequate, experiencing rejection, isolation from the in crowd, and um, the inability to be okay in the out crowd. I felt misjudged and unwanted for a good part of my early life. And uh, don't get me wrong, there were people in my life who loved me. I had an amazing mom and other members of my family who loved me and cared about me, but for some reason that wasn't enough. It was never enough. So I searched and I searched for a way to fill myself, to be okay, to feel like I had worth or value or significance. I did it in school. I did it in friendships. I did it in relationships, uh, pursuing a connection to other people, hoping that my connection to them would give me a sense of worth or value. I did it in scouting. Um, I did it in knowing stuff, you know, like finding stuff out about other people and kind of being the guy who knows. And then in telling that stuff that I knew. And uh, sometimes in actually taking the story that I knew and making it even more grand uh, so that I felt just temporarily a little larger than I actually was. I did this in church 
I went to church. The blue-haired ladies heard me sing. They said, oh, Johnny, you sing so pretty. Would you come up here and sing? And little Johnny would come up there, and he would sing, and they would all clap. And I felt for a moment that I was somebody, that I mattered, right? So um, perfectionism was another way that I pursued this sense of significance. But you know what? What I discovered was that every one of those things that I was trying let me down. I joined organizations, and I worked my way up the ladders of those organizations. I went on mission trips, and I did things that I thought would make me a better person, a more significant person. I... Um, became a leader in organizations and actually led small groups and became responsible for the care of other people and the discipleship of other people. I dated beautiful and intelligent women, and I thought that that would be the place where I would actually find my worth or my value because somebody saw me out with her. I pursued it through academic excellence, and I don't know if any of you guys struggle with this. You know, they write your name in the newspaper for being on the dean's list or the president's list. And for just a moment, my name was out there and I felt like I had significance because of that. I even graduated with highest honors. You know, I didn't just say honors, I said highest honors. And the whole reason I'm telling you that is because I truly believed that that would give me worth. Still, still in the midst of all of that, I believed that there that I was fundamentally less than other people. Still, I hungered for more than what I had. And then one day, somebody in my life recognized this insatiable thirst in me. And, and he saw that my, he saw that I didn't have the ability to rest, that there was no peace in me, that I was striving, I was working, I was doing, I was trying, and I was never satisfied, never filled, never happy, never content. And he loved me enough to tell me that I needed help. This was my intervention. This was somebody coming up to me to let me know that there was a part of me that I couldn't see, that they could see, and uh, this individual insisted that I get counseling. He took away all my leadership responsibilities. He took away everything that I had going for me, and he said, you will not lead another group. You will not go on another evangelistic visit. You will not do another ounce of ministry until you go to counseling. And oh, by the way, I'm paying for it, so you got no excuse. And so I went to counseling. And I had three intensive days with an individual who actually revealed to me that significance does not come from our performance, our success, from our behavior, from the people that we hang out with, from the girl that we have on our arm. It doesn't come from how good you look or how good your grades are. Significance can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ where I recognize myself as having died with him and raised with him and that I am in Christ and that my in Christness transforms me from a person of, in spiritual death, transforms me from a person who has no worth, no value, no meaning, and then gives to me the inestimable worth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now...
Wouldn't it be wonderful if the story just stopped right there and I understood it all and I was fully enlightened and I spent the rest of my adult life without any difficulty? <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't go that quite that way. He did help me. And he helped me to see that I was barking up the wrong tree. I grew up in a home of coon hunters. Anybody know what a coon hunter is? Well, anyhow, if you have a dog who's hunting a coon, and he goes out there and he finds a possum and trees that possum, that dog is barking up the wrong tree. All right. Got that? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Well, I was barking up the wrong tree. Here I was, tree and possums, and what I was really looking for was a coon. Rick, Rick gets it if nobody else does. I was looking to the acceptance of people, and I was trying to get my worth or my value from that, but it doesn't come from that. This counselor helped me to see that I had made the people in my lives uh, to become gods and goddesses for me. And I wanted them above all else. I wanted their favor. I wanted their acceptance. I wanted their approval. In other words, I worshiped these people. It's kind of embarrassing to tell you guys that, but that's the truth. That is the absolute God's honest truth. And for the first time in my life, I heard about a God who desired to be my source, to be my significance, to be my very life. He wanted to fill that empty place in me that had produced so much shame in my life. As I said earlier, I didn't instantly change, but I started on a journey that has led me to this place. And I'm still very much on that journey. I want to share with you a passage of scripture about another guy on a journey, if I may. And uh, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It comes from the book of Philippians. Some of you will recognize it right away. Let's see if I can get my phone to work. I need two hands to do that. Not a very skilled phone person. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. I'm going to read several verses to you, so sit tight here. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write to you the same thing is not um, tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that they should have confidence in the flesh, I far more. And here he goes. He gives his nice long list of reasons why he should have confidence in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is from the law, blameless. Now, this is Paul's testimony. It is not John Strauss' testimony. I, uh, he was the BMOC of his time, the big man on campus. He was that guy. You know, he was very successful in lots of ways, and he had lots of reasons to put confidence in his flesh. And even though this story isn't mine, the conclusion that he came to, Tina, is the exact same conclusion as it would be for me. 
That the, the discovery that he made is the same discovery that I need. And this is what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, all this stuff I just listed off, these things that were valuable to me, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul came into a brand new understanding that his life of of doing everything according to the rules, doing everything according to the expectations of men, doing everything according to the law was not his way to find righteousness. It was not his way to find rightness before God. But the way to do that was through a relationship with Jesus Christ that was based on faith. And the righteousness that he received was a gift. Man, it was grace. It wasn't an accomplishment of his efforts, but it was grace. And this passage here is uh, really precious to me because what it shows is the journey that I've been on is a journey of putting confidence in my flesh, in my own ability to make life work, in my own ability to get good grades, in my own ability to pursue perfection, and a growing confidence, not in John, but in Jesus, a growing confidence in his righteousness and his presence in my life. So that's the journey that I'm on. And God has really, really been growing me in the, in this area in recent years. And my desire is as Paul's, he says, it's not that I've already finished this race. I, I continue and I'm forgetting the things that lie behind and I'm pressing on to what lies ahead for Christ, because he is the center of my focus. I just want to share with you guys that um, because of my journey and because of where I've been, uh, it would be really easy and really tempting to think that uh, being an elder or being installed or elevated as an elder would somehow or another confer significance or worth or value on me. My flesh is all over that. I mean, it's like, yes, yes, give it to me. But I'm not choosing to walk after my flesh. I'm choosing to walk by the Spirit. And this is not something that I am like chasing down or pursuing or trying to make happen in order to gain worth or significance. Because look, I know where my worth comes from. My worth does not come from what this church decides I should be or should not be. My worth is found in Jesus and his cross. That's where my life is. But, but while that's the case, I, um, I have a strong desire to serve this body. I have a strong desire um, to live out my purpose in this community of people. I, I want to be someone who points you to the only way that real and lasting significance be found. I want to point you to the gospel. 
not just a part of the gospel, not a fragment of the gospel, but the whole gospel and all that the gospel promises to you, not just for your salvation, not just getting out of hell and going to heaven, but a a relationship with Jesus that is full and meaningful and transformative. I want to introduce you, if possible, if the Lord gives me an opportunity to what the abundant life is and what it was meant to be. Like Jeff, I am not the perfect choice for an elder. There are other people in this room probably far more qualified than me. Um, I haven't raised my children perfectly. I don't have a perfect marriage. uh, I've made some big mistakes. I have had and lost ministries. And and I have been very broken by my pursuit of significance in my flesh. And I refuse to to get back on that treadmill again. I will not do that. And if this ever, thank you, (laughs) if this ever becomes that for me, I invite you to come to me and correct me and instruct me and allow me to turn my heart back to the place where real life comes from. I won't do this perfectly. I will make mistakes, but I will seek to live from the deep riches of Jesus instead of the futility of my own flesh. And if you will allow me to, I will urge you in that same direction. Thank you. Now you see why Ron and I are very excited to have Jeff and John the elders over Mosaic. We are so grateful uh, for these families coming into our church the last two or three years. And so what they bring to the table and experience and their passion, as you've heard, and their love for the Lord is just going to enhance Mosaic in a way that I am so, so excited Uh, as your pastor and as an elder, co-elder with these guys. Uh, I'm just really, really excited already as we've had a couple of times together of just the uh, suggestions and the experience that they bring to the table is just so healthy. And you as a body are going to benefit as a result of their leadership. And so uh, we'll in the next two or three weeks be installing them. We'll, you'll hear more about that next week. And then also I want to introduce to you next week um, a t- couple of the elders or uh, deacons, I'm sorry, that we are going to also install at Mosaic. And I know there's some confusion there in this Bible belt about the difference between a deacon and an elder. And I'm going to go ahead and unpack that for you next week so that you'll know that we do see a, a difference between a deacon and an elder and what their roles are in the church. And it's so important that you understand who's over you and who's leading you. Again, like my good friend Chuck Donnerberg says, let's fight for the bottom. We aren't here to lord over anybody. And you know that if you've been here for any length of time. We're not about titles or prestige or saying, I'm, I'm the elder, you need to listen to me. That, that's not who any of us are, Ron, myself, you know, or these two guys. That's not who we are. We want to serve you, and that, that's why we're here. And so it's exciting to see what the future of Mosaic is going to be. We've got some exciting things on the, on the uh, forefront here, and we know that buildings and children's ministry and all this stuff is all part of it. You know, you know, we've been looking for a place to move. We've been looking at different things. The four of us last week looked at a facility 
um, to just say, okay, Lord, could this be it? And so with, with these two guys, with joining Ron and I and just putting our foreheads together and prayer and fasting and with the deacons coming on, we are excited for the future of Mosaic. So we just want to encourage you to pray for John, pray for Jeff and their families. And like I said, we will do an installation service here. And in the next uh, probably three weeks, we'll set that date and give that date to you. And just have kind of a potluck afterwards and just a time where you can kind of welcome them officially into the body. So thank you, guys. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this morning. Lord, when your church, like Jeff said, and we all uh, believe this, the local church is the hope of the world when the local church is healthy. Lord, this is the bride. This is your bride that you're coming back for. And we should be the healthiest organization on the planet. And Lord, we're committed at this church to be a healthy organization, to be a healthy remnant of your body. Lord, that when people come here, even though we're men, of, we have feet of clay and women, Lord, that we are going to make mistakes, but we're going to be quick to ask forgiveness. We're going to be quick to say, yeah, we, we could have done that better. Please forgive us. None of us is desiring any of these positions so that we can have any type of title or prestige or lord over anyone. We would be uh, less than uh, at peace if we did not do what we do because you've placed that in all of us. And I pray that for all of us sitting here today that we just can't get the fact that uh, you have given us these gifts. And if we don't use them, we will lose them. And you want us to not just be consumers, but contributors. You don't want us to just be served, but to serve. You don't want us, Lord, to just sit here, if you've given us one, five, or 10 talents, to bury them. It's your desire, Lord, that they are used within the body of Christ, fitly joined together, one body with many parts. Some are elders, some are pastors, some are teachers. Some have the gift of administration and prophecy. Some have all these gifts. And Lord, we don't want anybody to sit on these gifts, but we pray that Mosaic would be that healthy church where all gifts are functioning. So thank you, Lord, for this morning, for these two men that you have raised up and these families. Lord, these men are nothing without their wives and they come as, as oneness. And we are so grateful for Cheryl. We're so, so grateful for Garvisa and uh, what they bring to the table, Lord, as, as so as Anik and Mimi. And we are grateful, Lord, as, as men with godly wives, who just, just encourage us each and every day. So watch over these next few weeks and months of Mosaic as we have decisions to make and we, have, we want to just follow your vision for this church. So we thank you, Lord. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.